All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, it was cold, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, but uh, glad that we can be warm and toasty here. And if you are a guest with us, I'm particularly grateful that you joined us. I just want to follow up on the announcement that my wife Julia just made about welcome to the family. This is a great chance to get to know us as a church family. Um, we, we talk kind of do a deep dive into who we are, what we believe, um, how you can get plugged in, as well as just give you an opportunity to meet some staff from our church. And so it's not too late to register. It's this Saturday morning. Um, we do have food and child care available as well. So make sure you RSVP for that so we can make accommodations for you. Um, I think we've got over 30 that are registered, but we'd love to have more. So that's welcome to the family. And then another thing that's a couple weekends after that, uh, that's not just open to, to fair, people fairly new to Four Oaks, but really open to all of us, is something that we're calling a Theology in Practice Weekend. Or we're going to do a deep dive into the Roman Catholic uh, doctrines and practices and how they're similar and different to our beliefs as Protestant Christians. And so some of you might have grown up in a Roman Catholic home. Others of you might have friends who are a part of the Roman Catholic faith. Others of you might even have kids who are, uh, we've, we've, you know, some of you might be, our kids might be exploring Catholicism. Um, or maybe you're just interested in what Roman Catholic Church uh, doctrine is. Well, I would love to have you come and hear uh, as we are jumping into this in the deep end. Uh, we are really delighted to have with us a man by the name of Greg Allison. He is a pastor. He's a theologian. He's a seminary professor. And he also has a real heart for Roman Catholics. In fact, he uh, lived near the Vatican for a little while, speaks Italian. And uh, he is going to be a great treasure for us as we explore um, what it means to, uh, to not only understand the Roman Catholicism, but then also how we can build relationships with those from a different faith and how we can bring the gospel to bear in those relationships. And so that'll be coming up uh, the third weekend in February, February 19th. And uh, you can go ahead and RSVP today. We do have childcare that's available for that as well. Um, that's not even just open up to, to Four Oaks, but um, also um, those of your friends who might be interested or outside of Four Oaks who would love to come and listen. We've got some Roman Catholic friends who would like to come and listen as well. We'd love to have them there, so you can mark your calendars for that. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into God's Word this morning. And for those of you guys who are expecting our lead pastor, Paul, to preach, uh, so was I. <laughs> um, but uh, Thursday, he, uh, he reached out and he's like, Susan's not feeling well. I'm not feeling well. Can you pinch it for me? And it's like, absolutely, absolutely. So um, we know that, that that COVID stuff is going rampant all over the place. And uh, so you can pray not only for healing for them, but for many others who are, who are dealing with the sickness right now. Um, and actually, I'm really glad that I can jump into God's Word again this morning. Last week, for those of you guys who are here, we walked through Romans 6. And that last paragraph where it says, to let not sin reign... Man, I really wish I had more time to dig into it. And, uh, and so I do. Yay. Uh, but we're actually not going to look at Romans 6 this morning. Um, Pastor Paul is going to come back around and talk about the end of Romans 6 next week. But we're going to actually look at a different passage of Scripture, Psalm chapter 1. So you guys can turn there with me, Psalm chapter 1. And as you do that, I thought I would just share with you a quick story uh, my son, Josiah, and I, we had an opportunity to do a, a little father-son get-together this past weekend, and the original plan was to go camping. <laughs> and the Arctic apocalypse came through, and I was like, heck no, we are not doing that. Uh, but it, it caused uh, me to think about the la one of the last times I went camping, it was really cold, 
I had this, uh, this pillow uh, called a Swedish foam pillow. I've had this um, for a long time, and it just molds to your head. It's got this little kind of like back, for, back spot for your neck to kind of curve, um, and it is so awesome. I love it. Uh, sleep with it every night. But um, I took it with me camping, and uh, man, about half of the night, I just was starting to get really uncomfortable. And then I couldn't really figure out what was going on. But by the next morning, I, I woke up, and I was like, man, I am just so stiff. And I put my hand down on that pillow, and it was hard as a rock. Uh, and I didn't read the warning label. I never had before. And the warning label said, don't use your sweetest foam pillow in the cold. It will become hard as cement. And I was like, man, I should have paid attention to that warning label. Well, Four Oaks, I'm not going to talk about the hardness of pillows this morning. Uh, instead, I want to talk about something much more serious. Uh, it is uh, our tendency uh, and the temptation for uh, our hearts to become hardened. If you ever woke up uh, one morning and you wondered, like, how did my heart get so hard? Maybe it was even last week when we talked about uh, not letting sin reign in your life. And you, over time, just realized, like, man, I've become so passive um, I've become content with living with sin as my master rather than Christ. I sat down with a man in our church to kind of hear his story. And this was his, ex- his exact words. He said, I had been so happily married. And then one day I woke up and the divorce papers were on my desk. And I wondered, how did I get here? Well, maybe you woke up this morning with a hardened heart. Uh, maybe you've ignored those warning signs that God's been kind of flashing to you in his grace. Maybe you've justified your actions and you've kind of hidden your sins. Maybe you're feeling distant from the Lord. Maybe you're asking today, like, how did I get here? Or maybe not. Uh, maybe overall you're doing pretty well. But believe me, it does not take long. Uh, what do the scriptures say? It says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so I don't want you or me to wake up with a hard heart one morning and wonder, how did I get here? So this morning, um, God wants to invite us, really, he wants to, to speak to us this morning kind of about two key things. First, uh, I think sort of, um, sort of some smelling salts, maybe you could think about it, to kind of wake us up to the temptations that we face and to warn us uh, towards the, the path of destruction that these sinful practices and wickedness even can lead us down. So that's part of it. He wants to warn us. But then second is God wants to invite us. Uh, he wants to invite us to fight against sin and to delight in the God who came to save us, to deliver us, and to help us to pursue righteousness. And so um, why don't we go ahead and stand now and look at God's word. Psalm chapter 1. Listen to God's word to you and to me this morning. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Um, God, we come to you this morning, and, and if we are honest, we have to confess to you that our hearts are, are divided so oftentimes. Uh, on the one hand, we want to follow after you, but on the other hand, we are so tempted to follow after the ways of the world, to follow after sin, to follow after the enemy. God, I just pray that you would expose our hearts this morning, um, that you would reveal our hearts, that you would convict our hearts, and that you would heal our hearts. I pray, just as I read this morning in Psalm 147, that the word of God would run swiftly and melt cold hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys take your seats, and as you do, uh, today's sermon is entitled, Let Not Sin Reign. It's based on, you know, Romans 6.12, where, where the Apostle Paul says, hey, let not sin reign. Um, and we're going to look at um, sort of that theme from the psalmist's perspective here. And there's two points. First is the warning of sin. We we'll talk about that for a while. And then second is the invitation to righteousness. So the warning of sin and then the invitation to righteousness. And so first, the warning of sin. In verse 1, uh, the psalmist, most likely Solomon, uh, he provides us with a picture of what happens to a person who does not follow the Lord. Now we're going to, right here he says, Blessed is the man, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Uh, that's, what a, that's what a blessed person does. We're going to look at kind of the opposite direction of that. What would happen if we, we don't heed this counsel? And there's a progression here uh, with this wickedness and sin. It's sort of a subtle yet steady slide down. It's sort of a spiraling down into where it leaves us. And so we want to heed this warning um, by looking at the progression of sin in three steps. It's just found in verse 1 here. And so the first step is this. We listen. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So there is a counsel of the wicked that asks us, that sort of beckons us to listen. This is where that seductiveness and subtlety of sin starts to lure us in, right? Uh, the enemy, what did he say to Eve? Eve, if you, you know, if you eat this fruit, you will surely not die. You'll be like God. And all you fishermen out there, you know, uh, that's kind of like showing the bait and hiding the hook, right? Satan is really good at that. He puts out what looks alluring and satisfying, and he hides the hook. And there's a Puritan theologian, John O, and he talks about this um, sort of listening to the counsel of the wicked in this way. Um, he says this, he says, While temptation knocks at the door, we are at liberty. But when any temptation comes in and parlays with the heart, reasons with the mind, entices and allures the affections, be it a long or short time, do it thus insensibly and imperceptibly, or do the soul take notice of it, we enter into temptation. He's got some Puritan language there. Uh, he's painting a, a, vivid, a vivid picture for us. So when we begin to listen... We begin to, as, as Romans 6 says, start to pursue these, these passions of the flesh. When we open up the door, we are letting the enemy come in for a conversation. We listen. We consider the offer. 
We allow ourselves to feel drawn in. We may even uh, give him the guest key, our enemy, and say, hey, just come and go as you please, unaware of the subtle destruction that he's leading us down. That's what it's talking about when it says that we listen. And so I want to ask you, just right off the bat, where might you be entering into conversation with the enemy? What voices might you be listening to that would lead you away from the Lord? What counsel might you be considering? Where might you be sort of nibbling the bait, hoping not to get hooked? Maybe it's a relationship that you know is inappropriate, or, or maybe it's cheating on your taxes or on your schoolwork, or maybe it's a little bit too much to drink, or maybe it's just simply numbing out on TV or social media. Folks, I don't know where you might struggle with this morning, um, but, but God warns us, don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. You see, our hearts are, are never neutral. We're either giving in to the enemy and to sin, or we're giving way to the operation of rescuing grace that would want to pull us out. Uh, John Owen, in that same sort of essay, he says this. He says, if you adopt a lazy attitude about the subtle forms of sin, you shouldn't expect any great victories over the more perplexing ones. So in other words, the warning of Scripture is stop sin before it starts. So that's step one. We listen. Step two, form a habit. So it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. That word uh, way can also be translated path and refers to sort of a manner of life. It's a pattern of the way that we start to live. It's a habit. In this place where we're tempted to sort of minimize our sin, pretend like it's not a big deal, just kind of make light of it. Oh, it's, you know, it's not really that bad. The man that I told you earlier about, the one who had put divorce papers on his desk, he said, Scott, it was a subtle yet steady decline. It started by me just not reading my Bible and not being in community with other men. It seemed so small, and I totally minimized it. Before I knew it, it had become months of not being in fellowship with God and his people. A one-time thing became a habit. Where have unhealthy practices and habits form for you. You know, the Bible often calls this uh, idolatry. It's where we turn to those sinful practices rather than to God. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he helps identify idols in our life in this way. He says, um, I want you to look at your life and consider this. What is, what is more important to you than God? He said, uh, an idol is also anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. So when you wake up in the morning, what do you want? What do you long for? Uh, He says, anything that you are seeking to give you what only God can give you. That might be an idol in your life. Or last but not least, he said, whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I only had that, then... My life would have meaning. Then I would feel significant and secure. Then I would finally be happy. You know, John Calvin, he says that our hearts are like idle factories. They're constantly churning out things, even good things that we think will satisfy us, but they never do. And so what might it be for you? What are those subtle desires that have now turned into demands? Like, I've got to have this to be happy. If you're not sure, um, another man by the name of David Paulison, 
he, he writes an essay called um, Idolatry and the Van... Oh, now I just forgot. I just blanked on the name. Um, it's Vanity Fair is the kind of the title, and Idolatry is also somewhere in that title. I'm now blanking on the name of it. But anyway, he says, uh, he says that one of the ways that we can identify maybe where in our heart of hearts we're wanting something rather than God is, he said, to, to look at our strongest emotions... So um, one of the emotions that uh, might bubble up for you is anger, or the, the Christian way is, I'm just frustrated, right? Um, well, anger has to do with rights. I deserve this. And when I don't get it, I get really angry. Now, for some of you, I'm like, oh, I never get angry. Well, ask your spouse or ask your kids. <laughs> when am I angry? That might be a helpful thing for you to consider, like, okay, what, what, what am I holding on to too strongly rather than God? Another emotion is fear or anxiety. And instead of um, anger having to do with rights, fear and anxiety more has to do with control. What do you get fearful or anxious about? Or you're like, man, I just have to have this. I've got to be in control. And what happens if, I, if this doesn't happen for me? Then you get anxious and you get fearful, or maybe you're worried about something that's never going to happen. You get anxious about that. And you're like, man, if I just had that, well, that might give you a pathway into understanding your idols. Last but not least, sadness. Or even discouragement or even depression. This has to do with just you long for something and then you get really depressed about it when you don't get it. You get really sad what might that be for you? And if you kind of uh, pull up uh, these three emotions by the roots, you might find your idols down below the surface. What was it that rules your heart rather than God? Folks, if God is exposing your heart this morning, um, by the way, that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working. And he, he doesn't do this because he's humiliating us or he's punishing us. He's doing this because he wants to free us. He loves you and me so much that, that he will not turn from his work of grace in our hearts to accomplish all that Jesus died for. Remember, we talked about this last week. Jesus didn't just die to free us from the punishment of sin, but from its power as well. And so when God is revealing these things to our hearts, that is evidence of his rescuing, delivering, forgiving, and transforming grace. When we resist this, when we don't acknowledge our sin, we resist the ever-present Redeemer that, that wants to not only make this sin known to us, but he wants to deliver us from it. So what about you? Are you resisting God's grace, or are you humbly running to it? Well, unfortunately for the path of the sinner, they resist God's grace, and that leads to step three of the slippery slope of sin. So step one, you listen to temptation, uh, step two, you form a habit. And then step three, you settle down. It says, um, this person begins to walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and then sit in the seat of scoffers. This is a person who has a hard heart, and this is where they end up. Their friends are the scoffers. They're actively engaged in putting down God and his word. And scoffing can look a lot of different ways. Um, it could be outright ridicule and rejection. It could be indifference. 
Uh, it might be listening to God's word on a Sunday morning, but then it's sort of ignoring it the rest of the week. But the warning is clear. When you sit down in the seat of scoffers, look where it leads. Verse 4, um, it says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. In other words, there's no substance to that person. Uh, they're unstable. They're restless. They, they find no peace. Isaiah 57 explains it this way. It says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And then the psalmist sort of concludes here in Psalm 1 and says, in verses 5 and 6, it says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is, this is a sobering warning. Uh, a person wakes up one morning with a really hard heart, far from God, far from the righteous path, and even close to death on their way to perishing. I don't know for you this morning where you might find yourself, but if you are finding yourself at the bottom, you're finding yourself on the end of that spiraling down, it's going to lead to death. James 1, 4, or excuse me, 1, 14 through 16 says this. It says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Heed this warning this morning. I want you to hear this, though, too. Uh, that even though this is where sin leads to death and destruction, that doesn't have to be the end of your story or mine. We have an invitation this morning to abide by Psalm chapter 1. So in the next part, I want to encourage you. I want to say, if, you, if you're finding yourself in that place this morning, you have hope. This is the invitation to righteousness. Invitation to righteousness. This has three steps as well. And step number one is not necessarily found in this passage of Scripture, but it's very obvious throughout the Scriptures that the first step, if you're finding yourself in a place of sin, is to confess. Now, we don't like to admit our weakness. Um, we definitely don't like to confess our sin. But we have two choices. We can either confess our sin and our weakness and place ourselves under the mercies of Christ or we can erect some sort of justifying of our behavior and keep trying to stand on our own, and we end up falling farther and farther and farther away from the Lord. I love what Paul Tripp says. He says, none of us are grace graduates. We need God's grace every day. You know, a proud person says, I'm safe. I've got this. But a humble person says, I am vulnerable, and I need help every day. Here's an important thing to remember, too, this help against sin. It's, it's the biggest danger is not just the evil and the sin and the wickedness that's out there. It's the danger of the evil and the wickedness of our own hearts that still lurks within us. 1 John 1 says this. It says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's not the end, right? If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why Jesus came. He came so that you and I could be forgiven and cleansed of all of our sin. You remember last week from Romans chapter 6 where it says that this is sort of this experience of baptism. We're brought into Christ. He, he washes us clean. And we need to continually be washed clean of all of our unrighteousness. You and I are never too far away from the mercy of God. Confess your sin today. But this is not just a vertical confession to the Lord. That's where it starts, but that's not where it should end. There's also a horizontal confession. That's the idea here. 1 John 1, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our righteousness. In other words, this is a community project. We are not to confess our sins to the Lord. We're also to confess our sins to one another. And as James 5 says this, look at this beautiful invitation for us this morning. James says this, he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. If your heart is just broken, see the body of Christ as a means of healing your soul. There's something special that happens when you tell your sin to your brother or your sister in Christ, and then they say, I forgive you. The Lord forgives you. This is why Jesus came. He came to die for your sins. He is with you. He is for you. And he will enable you to conquer this sin in your life. It's been a sweet experience for me. And I know for you it has been as well when you confess your sin. And if you're scared this morning, if you're like, man, you just don't know what I've done, what I've been hiding, I want you to hear this. Your confession will not surprise God. He already knows. And not only that, but for those of us who really embrace the gospel in our lives, it won't surprise any of us either. See, the gospel says that Jesus died for sinners, not for perfect people. So let's stop pretending. God's grace is available to you and me. Open up your hearts. Open up your lives. Don't stay cut off from community. And as we, it's amazing, as we begin to confess our sin and we bring that sin into the light, sin begins to lose its power. It's amazing as our sin is met with God's grace, that his grace not only frees us, but it begins to, or excuse me, it not only forgives us, but it begins to free us so that sin doesn't have that strong hold in our lives as much as it once did. So step one, confess. Uh, step two, I talked about this a little bit last week, fight. I want to take a little bit deeper dive into this this morning. Uh, so in other words, we cannot be passive in our fight against sin. We've got to be active. Uh, and in this fight, there's sort of a negative and a positive. So first, we've got to, to know this negative evil that's not only all around us, but even within us. We've got to know our particular struggles, our particular um, sins, our particular unhealthy patterns that we've pursued, our habits. We've got to know those things. We've got to know our weakness. And then we've got to put up big guards against those areas of weakness in our lives. And also, we've got to know the schemes of the enemy. Man, he knows our weakness, sometimes even better than we do, right? And he knows how to, how to trick us. 
And so if we are going to fight against the enemy, we have to to know where our struggles really lie. And then we've got to kind of pull that back up all the way to the very beginning of where where did I get down on this path? And go all the way back up to the beginning and say, well, God, would you, would you help me to remember what lie I was trusting in? Um, what, what scheme of the enemy caught me? And begin to form a battle plan. Guys, I have a, I have a uh, on my phone, I have a battle plan against uh, sexual impurity. How I'm going to fight against that temptation using God's word to be able to fight against that. And we not only need um, God's word, but we also need people around us that help us with that, right? Um, think of uh, a group of men who get together on Tuesday night for accountability every Tuesday night, saying, we're going to fight against the enemy. We're not going to let sin reign in our lives. So there's a fight against, but then there's also this positive movement for something. And that goes along with verse 2. Verse 2 says in Psalm 1, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is not a cursory glance at God's word. This is a meditation on God's word. This is letting it sink deeply into our souls. It's changing us from the inside out. God's word, it gives us power. His promises are are works of of grace in our lives as we hold on to them to fight against the schemes of the enemy. What role does God's word have in your life? The apostle Paul, he calls God's word the sword of the spirit. It's an offensive weapon. And it's the way that the spirit of God sort of activates our fight against sin. When we hold on to God's word, remember God's word, the the spirit of God begins to call to mind these truths of God's word to help us to fight against the schemes of the enemy and to begin to hold on to what is really true about us, that we are in Christ. We're no longer under the power of the enemy. Paul Tripp says this. He says, my need as a sinner was so great that it was not enough for him just to forgive me. He also had to come in and live inside me. I need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living inside me because sin kidnaps the desires of my heart, blinds my eyes, and weakens my knees. So God graces his children with the convicting, sight-giving, desire-producing, and strength-affording presence of the Spirit. In other words, God says, I don't want you to fight on your own. I want to fight with you. I'm going to enable, my my Spirit is going to enable you to fight against the enemy and fight for righteousness. And so our battle plan against sin, it not only has a a negative uh, posture against uh, the temptations of the enemy, but also has a a forward posture of of saying, well, what are the things that God has given to me? He's he's given his word to me that I can hold on to. He's given me his spirit that can help me. Um, And he's given me his people that can hold me accountable and encourage me in this fight this daily fight, even this moment-by-moment fight against the temptations of our sin in our lives. Guys, it takes practice, too. It doesn't just come naturally for us. Uh, Yesterday, Josiah and I, we went on a a mountain bike ride around Lake Overstreet. The longest I'd ever ridden a bike was like two miles, I think. 
And uh, it was six miles, and my legs are feeling like jelly this morning. I can barely stand. Uh, like I said, might be the beginning for you and for me in this particular area. You're going to feel like jelly. You're like, man, this, is, this feels so new for me. But I guarantee you, as I try to go on a bike ride again the next time, hopefully it won't feel as bad, right? You begin to move forward, and you become stronger in pursuing righteousness and holiness rather than pursuing sin and passivity the way that you once did. So what does your battle plan look like against sin in your life? So step one, confess. Step two, fight. And then last but not least, and this is the most important thing, step three, delight. Look, I want you to see here that this invitation from the Lord is not just to stop, uh, not just to stop sinning. It's to enjoy what God offers to you and to me. Verse 2, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Verse 1, it says, blessed is the man, or happy is the man, or content is the man. Verse 3, it says, when you pursue holiness and righteousness, you become like a tree planted by streams of water. Not like the chaff that's blown to and fro by the by the wind of every evil thing that pursues and, and beckons you. Instead, you are, you are planted strong. You have deep roots that go deep into the soil of God's word. And his life-giving spirit is like water and giving you life and joy. And you begin to build, build, yield fruit in its season. It says, in all that he does, he prospers. There's an invitation to us to enjoy God, to delight in what he offers to you and to me when we pursue holiness. A life of pleasure, joy, peace, satisfaction. And I want you to pay special attention to this last verse. It says, in verse 6, it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word to know, it's not just sort of an omniscient sort of word, like he knows facts about us, or he kind of knows generally like what the righteous do or how they live. No, this is a relational word. That word Lord is in all caps. It's, it's the word for Yahweh. It's a covenant-keeping sort of word to describe God. It's a cherished word. It's a, it's a delight sort of word. In other words, God invites us to delight in him as he delights in us. I want you to look at this commentary from John Gill. He says this. He says, The righteous man is a follower of God. He takes up the cross and follows after Christ. He walks not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And this way of his, in every sense, the Lord knows. But not merely as he is omniscient. But the sense is that the Lord approves of and is well pleased with his way of faith and holiness. He knows this person so as to love him and take delight and pleasure in him. His countenance beholds him with a smile. Do you see God smiling at you when you run towards him and ask him for help? That is God's disposition towards you and me. When we say no to sin and yes to him. The man that I mentioned earlier that uh, just had this subtle, subtle but steady slide and decline towards sin and finding himself completely lost and divorce papers on his desk, that wasn't the end of his story. God exposed his heart and he became like the man in verse 2. He began to meditate on God's law day and night. 
And God began to change his affections, change his longings, and change his relationship with his wife. He began to to read scripture to his wife and over his wife. And now, by the grace of God, they are happily married. And he is grateful for how not only God restored his relationship with his wife, but most importantly, God restored his heart. This is the invitation for you and to me if we find ourselves in the subtle slide towards sin and destruction. He says, I want you to delight in me. I want you to enjoy the blessings that I'm offering to you. And you might be like, Scott, how do I really do this? I mentioned this briefly last week. Um, there's an essay by Thomas Chalmers, and he, he, write, he writes this. It's really a sermon, and he calls it the expulsive power of a new affection. And in it, he says that the only way to overcome idols and sin in our life is to gain a new, greater love, a greater affection for God. He said that the heart is always clinging to something, And the most effective way of drawing it away from one object is to place another object in front that is more alluring. You guys know this with your toddlers, right? They're about to put their finger in the light socket, and you're like, hey, come over here. Look at this really cool teddy bear. Yay. Right? In other words, uh, Thomas Chalmers, he says, you can't change the human heart by simply telling the people that the world is vain and worthless, that sin really isn't that great. If God has set before people another object for their affection that's more valuable, that's more satisfying than what they're currently putting their hopes in. And he concludes by saying, and that object is Jesus. Four Oaks, he says, every day we've got to ask God to give us a greater vision of Christ in our lives, to see him as the one who is all satisfying. In other words, Don't just stop sinning, but start delighting in Christ. So if you are the one who is longing for approval and affection from others, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that longing. But I want you to see Christ as the one who truly approves of you, who truly satisfies you. If you're the one who desires after riches, see Christ as the one who truly makes you rich in him. If you're longing for significance, see Christ as the one who gives you significance. He says, you are so valuable to me that I gave my life for you. And now I've given you kingdom work that has significant value to be a part of. If you're craving security, see Christ as the one who displays his love for you and says, I'm never going to let you go. This is what Robert Murray McShane says. He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And for all sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart, and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. I was reading this morning in Psalm 147, and I just thought I would read to you a few verses that declare who Christ is for us. Look at this. It says, um, The Lord gathers 
the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them their names. So if he knows those stars personally, he certainly knows you by name. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. What does it say he does? He casts the wicked to the ground. He has a special affection for those of you who are in Christ. And for those of you who are far from him, he says, I'm going to cast you to the ground so that you will see that nothing satisfies except me. Turn to me. You see, ultimately, in this passage of Psalm 1, Jesus is the blessed man. He never listened to the counsel of the wicked. He never stood in the way of sinners. He never sat down in the seat of the scoffers. See, he meditated on the word of God day and night. And he is like that beautiful, strong steady tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit to all those who sink their roots deep into him. Christ is the one who brings prospering and who experienced the perfect prospering in all of his life. Christ is the one who is truly known by his father because he always pursued the way of the righteous. So when we want to see Psalm 1 and we see ourselves and our sin and how we fall short, we also want to see Christ for us, how he never fell short. And by trusting in him instead of our sin, God sees Christ's perfect righteousness. And he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I am well pleased with you. Now enter into a relationship with me and receive from me all the days of your life and on into eternity. Let's pray.